purple elephant shower thought of the day. Anxiety is like when video game combat music is playing, but you can't find any enemies. This is Purple Elephant Radio, where we hear about storytelling, originality, and creativity from the creators who are actually making something matter. I'm your host, Sean Green. Okay, today's guest is, once again, another teacher. I'm trying my best to keep it uh, as many teachers as I can this season, season two of the podcast. And I think this teacher is very unique in his discipline because he is a cartoonist and a writer, and he's been teaching for about 10 years now, taught at Brown, and has been teaching at Mizzou for seven or eight years. And I'm here with Nick Potter. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, I'm so excited to have you because I think just, I mean, I've been interviewing other teachers in the digital storytelling visual studies department at Mizzou, and I think you have such a unique background as, well, not just in what you teach of kind of the the way you teach it with uh, narrative and kind of I wouldn't even say the more technical aspects, but just kind of the deeper thought about storytelling. And plus you have this wild background of writer and cartoonist. So I just want to start with an open-ended question and I'll let you take it wherever you want, but just what's your origin story? How did you wind up at Mizzou teaching this? (laughs) My origin story. Uh, Well, I, I don't, uh, origin story like evokes like something like really like amazing or, or Olympian or like a superhero. Um, and, and I feel like mine's much more um, mundane than that. But I, I, I arrived at Mizzou um, to do a, a PhD in creative writing. Um, I just finished an MFA at, at Brown University and came here to um, study writing. Um, and in the process, I, uh, a large part of my personal practice and interests uh, have always been to combine different mediums. Um, and so while I was in the English department. I was taking a lot of classes in, uh, that focused on a lot of, uh, different kind of visual artists and, um, other multimedia, um, storytelling. And so that kind of, uh, just began to continue to develop into, um, just thinking about different ways in which we combine mediums to create stories. And I think I was just in the right place at the right time, right? As I was uh, toward the end of my uh, degree, uh, the, uh, they began uh, the digital storytelling program here at the University of Missouri, which um, just seemed to coincide pretty uh, well with what I was already thinking about, studying and doing my dissertation on. Um, and so I, I was able to uh, kind of just get folded into the program at an early stage. Um, uh, and it, it really, the program for me was exciting because it incorporated a lot of the things that I wish existed uh, when I was an undergraduate and going to college um, in terms of uh, providing opportunities for a kind of creative expression that in, engaged a lot of different kinds of mediums, uh, developed a lot of technical skills, but allowed you to be kind of really open um, and creative with the way that you approach things. Um, and so, yeah, I guess that's my origin story here at Mizzou. Um, I, I feel like I had a lot of um, broad interests, which I think that the the digital storytelling program encompasses, uh, but it also has kind of affected me in a lot of ways and, and expanded what I've been thinking about and uh, pursuing um, just as uh I guess, a scholar and as kind of a creative uh, storyteller. Hey guys, I've really fallen in love with the medium of podcasting and I finally feel comfortable to where I want to ask for your support. So in the description and in all of the descriptions following this episode, I'm going to start putting a link for a spot for you to donate a small monthly amount of either a buck five bucks or 10 bucks a month. Now this money is going to 
help the podcast grow. It's going to show me that this is worth my time. And because this is for creators by a creator, I would hope that you can see that I'm doing this so I can sustain the act of creating. So if you really like this podcast, if you want to support the show, go down in the description, click the link to chip in a small amount to support the show. Thanks. Yeah, because I think just based on, again, what you teach and what I've seen when I was doing, like looking at your work for this, I mean, you really do try to push the kind of boundaries of like, what can a comic be? What can writing be? How can we kind of push those boundaries? And I wonder, have you always been like that when you were like wanting to be a writer when you were younger or a um, artist when you were younger? Was it always like just kind of the basic narrative structure bores me? Um, I, I was always... Yeah, I think that I've always been interested in experimentation and kind of innovation. Uh, I, I've been excited about, um, in, in various capacities, creative and political and otherwise, people who are trying to really push the boundaries of what's possible and to think about things in more complex ways. Um, and, and that uh, has really been a motivating factor, I think, in, in the way that I approach um, the arts. Um, I mean, really early on, I just wanted to be a musician and to make music. Uh, oh, I just didn't have okay. the discipline <laughs> to, to like really pursue an instrument. But my, my, uh, I always wanted just to combine as many different, uh, genres as possible. So in my head, I was imagining like, uh, just like, um, weird concoctions of, of possible new musical genres. Um, and I think the same thing applies to the way that I approach, um, storytelling, um, and, uh, writing in general, very early on, I, I wanted to kind of incorporate images and see if I can incorporate um, kind of interactive possibilities. Uh, I had, as an undergraduate, I would create, uh, I created stories that uh, I created a mix CD for, and they had to listen to certain songs while they were, they were reading certain parts of the story that I created, which they all hated because it made them <laughs> do way, too, way more work than they were wanting to do in that class. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed it. I, was, I, I liked uh, trying to s see different angles in which I could approach a story. That, that appealed to me. I thought it was fun. Yeah, and I think the interactivity aspect, I mean, has just exploded with, you know, the technology we now have access to where, you know, for a film, you know, you can just watch it passively. If you're reading something, you're reading it, but that's all you're doing. And I think what I've noticed with, you and just because I'm currently in one of your classes, the emphasis is, or at least will be with kind of the more video game-esque um, projects we'll have, is to kind of focus on how can it, how can the consumer of the content do something other than just kind of watch and be given this information? How can they be an active part of it? At times, absolutely, especially depending on uh, the medium. Some mediums, uh, like like video games, for instance, uh, really open up the possibility for mechanics that can involve, you know, an audience uh, uh, in unique ways. Um, but I think also just kind of like passively, that's always a part of my considerations um, in story. Uh, I. All, all storytelling is interactive, right? It's a storyteller and, and an audience, right? Uh, uh, is uh, communicating a, a story. And both, both require input in order to make that story exist, right? For it to, to function. And regardless of medium, depending on your approach, right? A, a, a standard story written in, in prose can be more or less interactive based on how much you force your audience, right, as a writer, if I'm taking the, the writer's perspective, to um, and challenge them with the way that you write your story, right? So some stories, you might feel like you're reading it much more passively because you are uh, you are attuned or, or you've been taught how to read that style of story, um, whereas others might force the reader to, to really... Uh, put more of themselves into decoding what the story is about, right? And the interactive level then increases because of the style of the story. Um, 
and so that that is I think that can be applied in a lot of different ways, right? We think about film uh, as a passive medium, and it's something we've just become very familiar with it in in certain genres, right? Like you watch a sitcom, and um, you know the beats of a sitcom. You know when the the commercial is supposed to come up. You know that there's a main plot and a subplot, right? You have all these things in your mind, and so it's very easy to understand and passively um, take in that style of story, right? But there's um, certain filmmakers who make decisions that suddenly make pique your interest or your attention in ways that are outside of, of that norm, right? And all of a sudden, what was uh, traditionally considered maybe a more passive experience can be much more interactive because as an audience member, you're required to put a lot more effort into it. Um, and I, that, I think, connects to, you know, my impulses um, to experiment with mediums because I, I am more interested in an interaction that requires um, the, the author and the audience member to, to really collaborate in a more interactive way, right? So uh, whether it be using technology to do that or not um, is a little bit beside the point, uh, but um, I'm excited for opportunities to, in my courses, right, to force students to kind of contend with that, right? Because if you're using something that you've never um, uh, used before as a medium, like say like you're using a certain kind of technology that really almost forces you to create um, things that uh, thinks about your audience and how they're going to interact with your story in ways that you hadn't hadn't considered before, then now you're starting to, to learn maybe to, um, what are the boundaries of what you can do in terms of challenging and, and really collaborating with that audience, a hypothetical audience, right? When you're, when you're first drafting the story, but what, what can you do to really uh, make that a more engaging um, interaction between author and audience member? Yeah. Cause I wonder that kind of makes me think of as the writer, whether it's writing, filmmaking, whatever it is, is it the creator's job to adapt the medium to the person they want to reach or is it kind of the their job just to make and then the people will come because I think of something like avant-garde films I, I'm personally just not going to watch it but let's say there was a message that was intended for me is it and I mean you can take this however you want as a writer or a filmmaker whatever it may be but do you think that there needs to be this kind of, and I hate, I don't want to say dumbing down, but if I wouldn't watch an avant-garde, do they kind of have to put their message in a narrative style that I would watch if I, uh, if they want to reach me? Do you think about that? Uh, I, I, it's an interesting question. I, uh, I, I would never make, uh, I, or I don't think I'm comfortable with the claim that any story has to do any specific thing right? Like that, that all stories have to do one thing and that I can provide general advice for, for any one of them. Um, if I'm going to tell you a story, Sean, right? Like if I have a story for you, then obviously that I need to adapt that story to what you're going to um, kind of be, what's going to be appealing to you, what's going to, what's going to uh, uh, be the best way to tell it to you, right? Um, in the same way, right? If I, if I have a story, for instance, that I, I need to tell my mom, I'm not going to try and tell her using an in like a an interactive virtual reality like game, right? Because one, she doesn't have that technology, right? Two, it, she's not. I mean, there's <laughs> there's a whole bunch of reasons why my mom wouldn't uh, I, I wouldn't try and tell her story in that way. With that said, um, I I do think that it's important to um, trust your audience, right? Um, and if you are creating something that you are invested in yourself and it's a story that you want to tell, whether or not you know who the audience for that is, um, then uh, having that trust both in, in your own intentions and, and what appeals to you and in the possibility of an audience that can meet you at, the, at that level um, is, is important, right? Um, I, I mean, my question is, is very early on in your question, you said you're not going to watch that avant-garde film. Why not? I think for me, when I think of 
Whether what does that mean? Well, it's it's really broad. Like, what do you mean by an avant-garde film? Because we watched I think some something that films I, in our class. I think something that, I mean, obviously something for a class, uh, that would be the exception. But if I can't find it on what I'm normally watching, whether that's Netflix, you know, whatever streaming service, if it's not showing up there, and it could very well be that I enjoy it because there have been some very surrealist stuff that we've watched in your class that have been amazing to me, but I never would have found it on my own. I never would have sought it out. And I don't think that's, you know, a fault on me or anyone, but I do think that there's this kind of, I mean, this kind of is a tangent a little bit, but this idea of like, with all these streaming services, everything's being curated for me. So I'm never going to stumble upon this wild new genre, whether it's a genre or just this wild avant-garde piece because, you know, the technology is getting so great at curating stuff that I don't think I would come across it otherwise. Yeah. Doesn't that make you sad? It does. Uh, it it does. It definitely, because I'm just kind of another tangent. I'm reading this book called The the Long Tail, and it's all about this idea of, you know, we're kind of moving away from a blockbuster world where we're only seeing the top 10, the top 40 charts. And now because we have all this curation technology, I can listen to 100 songs that are in this weird indie alternative subgenre that never would have made the billboard charts that I never would have heard on the radio. But at the same time, I'm never going to hear, you know, jazz music from this obscure subgenre, or I'm never going to hear heavy metal from this, you know, uh, obscure genre. And it's because even though I have that curation technology and I can find these little pockets, these little gold nuggets of music or whether it's music or video that I really enjoy but it's also confining me I think in that sense but I think that's just the way that it's moving with the technology we have with the search filters we have do you notice that at all oh sure yeah um I mean algorithmic um curation is I mean if we're speaking on that topic specifically it it's diluting exploration right it's funneling culture into like a more homogenous experience right so that we are um as like theoretically as a community we are experiencing um a smaller less diverse um range of media right um in in terms of of the art that we consume um, whether that be right, like in, in terms of music or in terms of film and television. Um, and that I think is, I mean, for somebody who's interested in ex- um, kind of ex- creative expression um, and the expanse of what that might be, that's, that feels like very dangerous um, in, and, and also in, it's, it's dangerous in terms of like ideology, right. And because, um, when we think about um, all of these things, these aesthetics and these methods of storytelling and, and these ideas, when they are confined or or they conform to kind of a, a populist like algorithm, then we have less opportunity to expand be out, outside of those things and to kind of understand um, a wider range of what the human experience is, right? Because um, that seems to me a, a fundamental part of why we create art, right? Is communicating and expressing um, kind of aspects of ourselves and our experience and our culture. Um, and so the reduction, right, of, of um, our capacity and, and even our impulse, right? Because sometimes we're just, uh, we're, we're just being fed this, this media in a way that it just kind of sates us or, or um, helps us to, to survive in a very depressing and, and difficult experience of life, right? Um, but I, I think that there's, you know, there's, there's both, there's pros and cons, but there's dangers in not um, uh, being compelled to, to kind of find um, and explore uh, 
art in, yeah. in its variety of forms. Well, I'm um, curious, just how yeah. would you combat that in yourself? I mean, because clearly, I mean, if you're, let's say you, you feel like you get a wide range of uh, media and just themes in whatever way it is, how do you go about doing that? Do you have to like consciously go against the curation technology? Have you, do you think about that? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I feel, I mean, I personally have, I try to find stuff, I guess it's just like an impulse and maybe it's like a, a component of my personality. I'm not sure. Um, but I, it's, I'm always looking for something. Um, and I spend a lot of time, uh, potentially, uh, you know, to an outsider could be, um, argued as, you know, wasting time. Right. But I think that that, that, um, using time, uh, and spending time, like actually exploring and trying to find things new and kind of putting yourself in situations where you're experiencing um, uh, different kinds of art and music and culture is important. Um, and so it is something that I try to incorporate into um, my daily experience of, you know, when I'm online um, and it really feeds into the capacity, I think of any individual, right. To, to be, um, innovative, um, and create and create work. So like if you have never experienced certain kinds, uh, or styles of art, then it's unlikely to influence or change the way that you think about and create your own work. Um, and, and an artist who has a, a broad range of, um, knowledge and experience with different kinds of artworks are much more likely to be able to connect dots from that experience and to create something new out of the, wealth of what they have, um, you know, pursued in terms of like listening to music, watching films, uh, creating artworks. And certainly I wouldn't have made some of the, the leaps or experiments that I've made without having those experiences myself. Yeah. Um, and so and I think that that's an important part of any, um, kind of creator's education is that they yeah. are exploring uh, as much as possible. Yeah. And I want to keep on that same topic of just innovation, innovation and in your art specifically, you've talked about how, you know, the stuff you consume is, you just said it kind of is how you've made those leaps in whatever you were doing when it comes to, and let's take it specific. So let's take making a cartoon. Where are you getting other sources? Are you looking at other cartoons that's going to help you make that innovation? Or is it you're reading these classic books uh from like hundreds of years ago and now you're bringing those into a cartoon i mean is it just picking as many different things that don't seem to relate and then hoping something comes out of it or is it not even a conscious process um i, I mean i think it's both conscious and unconscious uh i i spend a lot of time um uh you know jumping from link to link uh, looking for cartoonists um, I have the benefit of making it uh, some aspect of like my professional pursuits. I, I curate uh, a comic section for an online magazine called Anomaly. So I'm always looking for new um, cartoonists to um, kind of solicit for, for that work and looking for work in that way. Um, you know, I, I, I teach a cartooning class and so I'm always keeping an eye out uh, to um, expand and kind of, um, uh, make new any of the work that I would, uh, put into, to a course on cartooning. So those things kind of also like they're an engine that helps me keep uh, going, but I'm always looking for ways to, to, um, an inspiration of, of work when I'm creating. And so, um, very often I, uh, I will find, say, I'll be reading something and I'll think, uh, Sam reading a book, a book of poetry. And I'm thinking, well, what would this look like if I broke down like sentences like this that I'm speaking here and put them in a grid form, right? Which is, uh, the standard mode for, for comics. Um, and what, what images would I apply to them? Um, am I seeing that anywhere? Can I see, uh, examples of other cartoonists that are doing that? What are they doing that I like? Um, how can I make these things my own, right? So it's after I, I see those things, I, I try to experiment with them. 
And it's in the act of experimentation, right? Where I see these things that I find inspiring. I see, I, I, I make an attempt at trying uh, it myself. And it's in the moments where I can't do what they're doing that I figure out what it is that I can do and, um, and what it is that I like about it, right? So I'll be drawing and I'll be like, I can't draw stuff like that. I, I don't like the way that this grid works or my handwriting doesn't work here. So I have to do something else. Like I don't have good handwriting. I'm gonna use a stencil. And then all of a sudden, like I'm using these things to try and, and mimic this work just to understand it. And my inability to do so all of a sudden becomes something that's new, that's its own thing, right? It's, it's my inability to recreate the things that I love that all of a sudden um, introduces something like brand new into the world because like something only I could make. It was because I was trying to do that, that I've found it. And once I find it, right, all of a sudden, then I'm like, okay, now this is starting to become my own. I am um, experimenting with my own mistakes. And the, the thing that inspired it is getting more and more distant from the thing that I'm making. Um, so it's both, it's both those things combined, right? It's the act of making, um, as well as the act of, of um, kind of consuming as much art as I can in order to create new ideas mm -hmm. um, in the in whatever medium that I'm working in. And do you ever feel like maybe you have a, um, a lapse in ideas? And is that if you have those times, which I would imagine you do, because I think that's very natural, but is that just the time for you to go like deep into consuming art and not necessarily expecting a result, but just when you can't think of anything to create, it is like your kind of mindset is, okay, it's time to pick up a book. It's time to read a comic or whatever it may be. Do you go about it that way? Um, yeah, I, I think that that can absolutely happen. Um, although I find that more recently, I, it's been much easier to just get lost in um, finding other people's artwork and not um, spending time making artwork myself. Um, I mean, uh, to, to be perfectly honest, like it, it's been a real struggle to create work for like at least this past year um, with all things considering different responsibilities, uh, both um, with, uh, you know, teaching, uh, but also responsibilities like with my family, I have two boys at home and, uh, you know, they're, they're doing online school, which makes me a their teacher, like I'm a middle, middle school teacher now, which I have never been a middle school teacher before. Um, and uh, we're all trying to kind of like cope uh, emotionally um, with a lot of different stuff. And, and that makes it very difficult. Um, and I guess I, I personally just coming to terms with what is, what does it mean? And, and what are the requirements that uh, I have for myself to create work? And what's more, most important? Um, what do you mean by the requirements? Uh, you, I, I mean, to, to ask yourself how important it is to create work and, and how that can help you. Uh, I think it can be therapeutic and, and helpful to, to be making work, that it can uh, bolster your spirit uh, and, and kind of focus your mind in a lot of ways. And uh, This is maybe a tangent, but I think it's related. And I was just thinking, like, there's ways of creative consumption. Like that's a that's an act of creativity, like the way in which you approach finding things to um, finding art and supporting art. Right. Uh, it's it's a creative and a political endeavor. Right. Is who you choose to. Um, to read who you choose to to watch who you pay for. Um, uh, those are all things that I think are important to me. And I've uh, I've that has become a part of like what my professional practice is because it's incorporated into the way that I, I construct and present a class and the way that I understand stories. Um, and you know, it's my responsibility if I'm gonna be instructor to try and understand as, as broadly and as deeply as possible what that might be so that I can support a wide range of possibilities in my students um, and then also present them with a wide range of possibilities um, in terms of what they can do. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I've been really, uh, I, th I, th I feel like we're very far afield from the question to the point that I, I, I don't remember it too much anymore, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 uh, I've been spending a lot more time looking at art and, and finding art and reading yeah. stuff than I have in creating 
more yeah. recently. Well, okay, I, I want to because you hit on something. You said something about who, who you're willing to pay for, kind of voting with your dollar. If we're talking about art, do you think because now, and I talk, I say now as in since the digital revolution that made so much that made basically lowered the uh, threshold to create. Now we can consume so much stuff for free, whether it's, uh, you know, SoundCloud, YouTube, tons of other sites that I probably didn't, I mean, Reddit, you can put art on Instagram, whatever it may be. Do you think when it comes to, as a consumer, paying for art to like watch a film, let's say, versus being able to see it for free on YouTube, do you think that it's less appreciated when it's when you're able to consume it for free. Do you think there's value in trying to pay for art, even if I could consume all my waking hours with free content and never pay a dime for art? Do you think there's value in paying for some art to consume it? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, regardless of, of, uh, what art you're consuming, uh, you're paying somebody for it. You're paying somebody for access to your internet. Uh, you're paying somebody to, for the devices that you have. Uh, and you're with the advertisements that you're getting, you're paying for uh, the, the things in various ways that you are consuming, um, even if it, uh, you don't see it um, attending to them directly. Uh, I, Obviously, um, kind of, we live in uh, a capitalist society, and money uh, is, means something in terms of how we use it. Um, but I, I don't think that that means that it's not important, and uh, that it's that sharing um, art freely isn't like a, a unique and potentially important political act, right? To, to make something accessible um, is, uh, is a unique thing to do, um, depending on the circumstances. Uh, in my own mind, it, I, I, it's always complicated. It's always fraught. Um, and, and so it's never going to be perfect. Um, but I, I do think that uh, especially I find it important and valuable to invest in um, art that's like uh, local or, or art that's small. Like in, I, I, I'm, I'm interested in, in small art, <laughs> if that means anything. Uh, like finding and community, uh, connecting with people who make art um, in and around you um, in small ways is I think very powerful. It creates unique connections between the um, had unique connections with people who've uh, pursued my art, which is not uh, by any means, you know, a uh, broadly accessible in terms of aesthetic uh, or, or even um, kind of uh, discovery, right? But those connections, I think, are really, really important, um, more as much or more important than the kind of connections we have with um, enormous, like, creative endeavors like say like the the marvel universe or you know or star wars or something like that those are going to affect us and they're going to have important um, aspects of connecting us with society um, and popular culture uh, but the much more valuable and powerful connections i've found are in like buying a painting from uh somebody at an open market uh here in colombia and all of a sudden like i know them i start following on instagram they follow me back all of a sudden i have like this actual human connection um, and that's rooted in this like small painting that I purchased for like $50 that's on my wall. And it means a lot more to me. Um, and I, I think it's an important experience to have that I, I'm not sure if many uh, people pursue, but, uh, but which if pursued, if, if you have those experiences, they turn out to be extraordinarily valuable. Um, and so uh, I think it's an important thing to, to, uh, to, you know, to venture out and, and to do, right? If, mm -hmm. if it's not something that you've done before. Yeah, and I think I, I could relate that, not in the, the local sense, but I think back um, the last like short film that I made, I reached out to a smaller artist on Instagram 
and was able to use his music. And, you know, I showed him the final product and he was like, oh yeah, this is awesome. And I ended up getting him on the podcast and he's going to be featured the episode before this one. And I was able to have like an actual conversation with him and just kind of pick his brain, hear his story. And it's such a cool thing because now when I like hear his music, I'm like, I talk to that guy. I kind of know him and that's such a great feeling. And honestly, because the question was about like paying for art, in my opinion, just like as the uh, the artist or the creator, if you want to phrase it that way, someone reaching out to me like feels great. And it honestly can be just as valuable as someone paying five bucks for something. I don't know <laughs> for five bucks to support the show or something along those lines. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and the financial support is obviously important and, and something that many people require and survive on and that are struggling to, to, to get in, in these kind of fraught times, but that communication is equally important, right? Like, um, and it's hard to do, uh, but I think resolving at times to do what you can to to reach out and to even just uh, um, let somebody know that you appreciate the work that they're making um, and to do so in like a, a specific way um, is is really powerful and important thing to do. Um, okay, yeah. I, I kind of want to transition to this sure. topic of collectibles in the sense of it tangible collectible items. So let's say a book or a printout of something versus, you know, being able to consume all this stuff online, you know, whether you're reading stories online, do you think that it's important as let's say, as the kind of consumer of art to have collectibles? Like if you look, you can see on my background, I have uh, music festival posters and I really value those. Do you think that there's some, some importance to collecting art, tangible art, rather than just consuming everything digitally or like, you know, only having library books if we want to talk about printed out things. Like, do you think there's importance to own um, and just have it around tangible art? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, the material quality of um, objects is extremely important um, in the way that we kind of uh, create our space, the way that we engage with uh, the world. Um, of course, our, our digital um, experiences are, are material in their own way, right? Like there, there's different kinds of materiality that includes like the, the devices that we use to, to access them. Um, and the accessibility they provide is, has its own uh, important aspects, right? Um, but with a consideration of uh, maybe the anxiety about the imbalance between uh, the, the digital um, art that we consume and, and maybe the, the physical experiences that we have, I think that it, it's definitely a, a healthy um, practice to, to be engaged with and to, um, you know, um, take advantage of the material quality that art has. It, it's a, uh, a particularly, like if, if you're thinking, maybe just as an example, right? If we're just thinking about literature, um, there's, you know, a lot of uh, evidence and, and scientific evidence and studies that correspond with our, our capacity to uh, keep attention with like a material book um, uh, better, right? To be more engaged, to, to also to have a um, you know, a psychological response that makes us happier when it comes to like reading and deep reading um, from a physical text. Uh, and so uh, rather than like, say, from a, a digital text, like um, uh, either online or, or even a tablet. And so uh, I think those kind of material experiences are important for our, you know, our our well-being, our, 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 our experience of our, our value of art. Um, uh, but I think that it, it, with all things, it kind of comes as like a balance, right, between how we navigate the those two things, because the digital world isn't going away. Um, and, and a lot of things that it provides are uh, essential and important to the way that we operate in the world. Um, but um, attending to like a balance of uh, consuming and experiencing art in both digital and uh, physical material uh, ways, I think is is 
really important and valuable. Mm -hmm. Again, transitioning a little bit, do you think that everyone should learn storytelling and not because I think everyone can tell a basic story, but you know, I'm a digital storytelling major. I'm studying, you teach, um, kind of the, the deep dive of storytelling and in story in general, do you think everyone should go a little bit deeper than just what they kind of know from, you know, what they were told? Oh, I know about the hero's journey. Should everyone go a little bit deeper or should only a small subset of people go a little bit deeper? Uh, well, I mean, storytelling is a uniquely human um, activity, right? The way in which we tell stories uh, is is something that is one of the one of the unique traits that uh, connect us as like a society as as a uh, species. Um, and so it is really ingrained in in everything we do. Uh, so uh, I don't think that it's uh, a stretch to say that somebody that is majoring in business or, or, or majoring in a medical field or in the sciences are not learning stories. Like they're learning how the, uh, the narrative of the um, field that they are um, going into, right? They're learning the story of, of business or the story of the body, uh, right? In, in different ways, like that's how we communicate with each other. Um, and so any effort to develop that skill, I think is uh, valuable, right? Because whatever, whatever activity or field you're in, um, whatever ways in which you're communicating with um, uh, friends or family, it's, it's a component of understanding the way that we, the way that we create stories around um, our lives and uh, our, our experiences, our ideas and what we believe that helps us to connect with people. Um, and so uh, I, I think that um, an understanding of that is going to be valuable to anybody. Um, regardless of who they are or what they're doing. Um, and it's something that they innately um, understand or, or participate in, um, you know, every day and in every experience that they uh, pursue. So, um, yeah, I, I think that it's valuable for everyone. Okay, now let's kind of move to creators in general. Of people who maybe are wanting to create something, but keep procrastinating or you know they have they're just kind of in the beginning stages of whatever creative medium they're thinking whether it's writing music uh filmmaking what kind of advice would you have and you can take it specific you can say this applies to writers or this applies to you know a small subset of people but just this idea of getting out of that procrastination that writer's block mindset do you have anything that kind of helps you or that you could think of? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, well, my, my general ethos, especially for anybody that feels like that they're uh, in the beginning stages of pursuing uh, a craft, and this would be for anything, is to value quantity over quality, right? To just create as much as possible right? Rather than being worried about the quality of your specific thing that you're making, right? So if you're trying to, to figure out and to learn how to write stories, then like, write one story a week, make that your deadline. And once you get to that week, and, and you have a half done story, just move on to the next one, just write and write and write as much as possible to have that experience. The, the same, I mean, if you're a musician, make a song a week. If you're a filmmaker, try and make a film a week, right? You're going to make a lot of stuff that's like, um, you know, obviously not going to make it onto your highlight reel or whatever, but you're going to learn so much faster how to approach um, your medium. Uh, uh, you're going to you're gonna develop skills very quickly over that period of time. And it's going to take you a long time to figure out what it is that you actually want to do um, when it comes to creating artwork, right? When it comes to creating a song or when it comes to creating stories. And that only can, um, you can only arrive there after, you know, really putting a lot of effort into trying uh, as much as possible. Um, and so I think that that uh, quantity is really undervalued as like a strategy in um, doing that. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I think for any beginner, it's just make as much as possible. 
um, in the process to, to finding what it is that uh, really draws you to that medium and, and what it is that you can bring to it. Yeah. And do you think um, just with that piece of advice, do you think that the, the person needs to share that work or is it more the act of doing it? Is that important or is it kind of the sharing it, even if you don't think it's your best work, even if it's not perfect, that it should be shared for it to kind of count? Do you think there's any relevance to that with sharing it versus um, making it I and mean, just practicing? It depends, uh, I think. Um, obviously, you can have uh, both positive and negative experiences sharing work. Um, and, uh, so say for a beginner, I wouldn't put too much pressure on, on the act of sharing, uh, that work. Um, I would, I would put more effort into like, um, establishing a, uh, you know, creating enough work that you start to feel comfortable with and being able to distinguish in your own work, what it is that you like and what you don't like. And once you get to that stage, then I think that that's probably, um, the stage that is more appropriate to start sharing the work in terms of uh, if you're looking for feedback or even to just uh, to share it to, to any given audience. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think what I've noticed myself, and this is not like I was born this way by any means. I think this is a very recent thing. I've noticed when I can justify like whether it is something like an assignment for class, if I can justify how, I could share this in a different way, whether it's a short story I write in your class, if I could justify being able to share that with someone other than just you, the teacher, to just get a grade for it, if I can think of it from a wider lens, then I have so much more energy to write it. And I don't know if that's uh, unique. I don't know if everyone thinks that way or doesn't think that way at all, but I've just noticed that within myself. And it might be because I have kind of established this stuff of, okay, I have the podcast, so what can I read about that I can uh, talk about on the podcast? And those types of things of having that platform. Do you notice that? Like in yourself, do you think that when you were beginning, did you have that urge to share? Or was it kind of, I feel like there's kind of this, um, I want to say archetype of, the creator who's been writing in their empty cabin for years and years. And they have this 10 manuscripts that they're afraid to share. And then they finally do. And it's beloved by some, not all, but do you think that <laughs> those are kind of two ends of the spectrum? Do you think it's not that, e not that simple? Uh, I, yeah. I mean, I mean the, the, that archetype I, I feel like is, is kind of like the romanticized uh, myth um, that doesn't necessarily, that is very likely, um, the, just an anomaly if it exists at all. Uh, but of, uh, I think absolutely, right. We, we all have, uh, the impulse and desire to share the things that we create, right. I, we have, I mean, we naturally like, you know, we want to connect with people we, and, and we, we also, we want other people to like us, like, right. Like I want to, I want to be good at this interview of Sean. So like you, you like me, right. And, and like you, like similarly, like we, we have this experience and we want to please each other and we want them to like our work. Um, and there's absolutely an impulse to do that, which is, is, is natural and good. Right. Um, I think that one of the values of sharing your work, right. Is that it, it, it raises the stakes, um, which is an important thing, right. Because you want, if you, you want, uh, if you're respecting your audience, right, you want to value their time and you want to value their um, willingness, right, to, um, to, you know, read your short story or to watch your film, right? And so you want to make something that's worth their time. And by doing that, right, like by imagining an audience and, and maybe even working towards preparing for an audience, that's maybe going to change the level of attention that you bring to the work that you're creating. Um, and so considering an audience and having the desire to share that work is, I think, an important step in kind of developing as, as an artist and uh, kind of, uh, you know, sharpening your, your own, um, your own uh, skills, right, uh, to a level with which you feel it's appropriate to share that work. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that it's important to build up to that and uh, an important impulse to pursue. Mm -hmm. And I think the other aspect of that is the aspect of risk 
when it comes to yeah. sharing your art. I I think, and I got this idea from uh, a writer named Seth Godin, who kind of says it doesn't count as art if you're not if there's no risk involved, if there's no chance of failing because you're copying something that's worked in the past. That may be useful. You may uh, be providing entertainment, but it's not risky. There's no chance of failure, and therefore it's not art. Do you agree with that sentiment? Uh, I mean, in, in general ways, I think that, that great, successful art takes risks, absolutely. Um, do, do you think in your own um, art, have there ever been where you've taken a risk and maybe it, it didn't work? where it didn't get received the way you wanted it to? Um, I I feel like in my own practice, I have normalized the uh, act of failure. Um, and, and I don't know if it feels risky anymore. It just feels like more failure, which is, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's normal. It doesn't, it doesn't feel good or bad. It's just what happens is you create something that's, ridiculous and weird and that nobody knows how to deal with and then like you just make another one of those and you keep doing it and people are like okay uh, uh just keep doing what you're doing <laughs> uh but maybe less cynically um i mean good work it, a part of the risk is inherent in the work and, and what you're doing and, and trying to create um but a part of the risk is um so like a part of the risk is the content of the work the style of the work, the way you present it. But I think another part of the risk is the amount of time you put into it, right? Like you are investing your experience into something and some works take a lot of time. And um, if you're talking about like, you know, the, the risk versus reward type of idea, like you could spend like a year on a novel that nobody wants to read and wants to publish or cares about. And that's a big risk, right? Uh, so there's a lot of ways to think about what, risk means when it's applied to artwork, right? It may not solely involve just the risk of um, uh, being, uh, receiving like a, a negative response to your work. Um, I mean, oftentimes a negative response is, is the goal of some people's uh, project, right? So um, there's all sorts of risks involved and, and yeah, absolutely risk um, and, and vulnerability, I think, uh, is is the uh, most important thing, and I, and I suppose that would that would qualify under the umbrella of risk, right? But being vulnerable um, and genuine uh, in your approach to creating art is is uh, what I think really makes it successful, um, and makes it something that like we connect with people over, right? Because when we see someone else's work and it, and it feels honest and, and vulnerable, and they're they're putting something out there that is. Uh, it's not easy to do, then like we make a connection with that. And so that's, uh, that's important. Yeah, I, I did. I had never given that thought of just the multiple types of risk. And I really like that. Uh, I wanted to touch on one of your pieces of writing that I read in preparation for this um, evil Dr. Jacques Jacquesstein. Oh, my Jacques goodness. Stein. It's an old one. It I really <laughs> enjoyed it. And I'll link it. Um, in the show notes for this episode, but I'm just curious because it was very, I mean, it was hilarious, but it was also very surrealist. Do you think that that is good embodiment of your kind of work? Because I read one of your other comics as well, but for that piece specifically, because I think that's very accessible for people, I can just link that whole um, story. Do you think that embodies your work or kind of what was the, do you remember writing that, what that process was like? Uh, I, I do kind of, uh, th I think that was like one of my very first like works that I got published. Um, and I think I wrote it like towards the end of my undergraduate like degree. Uh, and it was an effort to, to just be as energetic as possible, right? To do as many things as I thought I could do and to just entertain myself in the process of writing, right? Like if things started to get dull, I was like, okay, well, I'm just gonna draw this picture. And like, and then if things like, uh, if at any point, like I felt like the, um, 
like my attention and and therefore uh, I suspect my audience attention was going to be lost, I uh, immediately like switch gears and tried to just push and maintain attention as long as possible and keep up a level of um, energy and entertainment, right? This, I felt like the story is really more rooted in entertainment than anything else. Um, then I was going to make that decision, right? Um, and uh, I think as, as an early lesson, like I don't know that uh, all of my work uh, maintains that kind of comic energy, although a lot of it um, definitely has like undercurrents uh, uh, or incorporates comedy. I think I, that's a large part of, of what I like about creating uh, artworks um, is uh, I think it taught me that like, you uh, try everything and, and also um, I guess go for broke like it with every swing right like just swing as hard as possible and, and see what happens and it's when I stopped like holding myself back from just like making like ridiculous moves in in my writing and in my decisions that I started to like really enjoy my work like myself and, and I think that's when other people started to, to pay attention to it as well, right? It is almost like breaking down that level of reservation I had about creating a, a story um, and what others might think of that and, and being, I suppose, uh, vulnerable in the way in which that I was willing to make something that was fun um, to the point of absurdity um, because it, it uh, created, it generated an, an emotion that, that uh, I felt was... Uh, that I wanted to put out in the world, that I that I wanted to experience in the moment of creation. Um, so so yeah, it, it it contains that kind of uh, like excitement, uh, discovery in terms of being um, where. Uh, so in that way, yeah, it's it's representative of a spark that has kept me going mm -hmm. for quite a while now. Yeah, and I like what you just said about kind of you kept the energy up for yourself as you were writing it, and if it felt boring to you then you added some absurd element for yourself. And I think, I, I'm not even sure if what other people think of this, but I know, I feel like I had heard in the, in regards to something like stand-up comedy, or it just, if you make yourself laugh, not related to anything, not telling anyone a joke, it's like, you're kind of, that you look kind of psycho. But I mean, I think it, when it comes down to it, if you make yourself laugh, from a, a joke you thought up, then it'll probably make someone else laugh. And I think in that same vein, if you can make your writing excite you, if you can make your writing, make yourself tear up, then it might elicit that emotion in someone else. Do you think that there's some um, reasonableness to that uh, thought of just like, if you can elicit the emotion in yourself, there's a good chance it might do the same in another person? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I mean, if you're not deriving uh, those things from your work, like what, why are you making it? You know, it's like, if you're, if you're writing a story and you're trying to communicate something, but you don't feel it yourself in the work that you're pursuing, then um, how can you expect anybody else to, to feel that? Right. It's, if, 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 if it's not up to your personal standard and experience, then you're sending out something that's counterfeit to what you know to be like real, right? And so uh, that's uh, absolutely, I think, an important part of of any creative process is right. You're you're your first um, reader, you're your first critic, and and you need to make sure that it's meaning that affects you personally. If if you yeah. expect it to mean something to someone else, yeah. And I think that goes back to what you were saying before about the risk in terms of time. I mean, if you're spending a year on a project that feels like painful and the outcome is not guaranteed because it's never guaranteed, why would you keep doing it? If you can't justify doing it in the moment that I think it, and you're kind of imagining this future outcome, oh, I'm struggling for this moment in the future. I think that's, in my opinion, I think that's the wrong way of looking at creating art. But I, I think that there could be exceptions to that. Do you think... I mean, do you kind of, what do you think of that? Do you think there are exceptions to that rule of maybe that uh, you need to I mean, suffer? in my mind, I'm willing to say there's exceptions to like anything. Yeah. Uh, and so I, <laughs> I waffle around about everything, but 
Um, I, I think that if you are not uh, if you are not finding satisfaction from the process, um, and that could mean a lot of different things, right? Like uh, creating artwork can be difficult, it can be painful, it can be a struggle. But if you're not finding um, something uh, to take from the process of creating that artwork, um, then uh, then I, I think that that that's it's likely not uh, not something that you should be pursuing, right? right? And in, I think in that vein, or, I think fulfillment fulfillment is a better word than maybe just thinking of like, does this make me happy in the moment? Does it make me fulfilled? Might be a, a better definition of it. Because yeah, there's always going to be some struggle involved if it if you're putting in effort, of course, it, there's going to be hard moments and fun moments. So there's always that balance. But as we're kind of hitting the the one hour mark, I want to wrap this interview up. And I like to end with the same question for all the podcasts and you can interpret it however you want. But can creativity be taught? Why or why not? That old chestnut can creativity be taught? Um, I mean, this question gets posed a lot, right? Um, and and I I am suspicious about the question. Um, and I think because I'm not sure. Say your own definition of creativity, uh, like how you would. Well, I, I mean, creativity is such a like a broad term, right? Which is is part of the the reason why it's posed. The, the, I mean, we have. Uh, I, I'm suspicious of it, right? Is because we tend to think very critically of arts in education, right? So the idea of teaching creativity um, seems to apply specifically to, to the arts. Maybe I'm wrong. How do you feel about that? When you hear, can you teach creativity? Like what, what, what field or, or medium pops into your head? Like, what do you think that? I think art definitely does, but I also think of it from the perspective of science and scientific discoveries and business and business innovations. But okay. I do think art is kind of the stereotyped creativity genre, right, right. medium. Um, yeah, like, uh, uh, I don't know if you can teach creativity. Uh, I don't know if you can cre teach like that specific thing that makes somebody who they are, right? Because that's like a component of what that creativity uh, creativity is. It's right, like that that thing that somebody uniquely can create that's original. Right, I can't teach you how to be original. You, right? Like only you can do that. Um, and, and simultaneously, anybody that brings something unique to a field, something that is of themselves that they, from their experience, that they're combining to um, innovate, right, is is going to be unique to their um, background, right? Um, however, just as in any other field, right, like I think that you can provide the framework for somebody to. Um, to kind of find and and pursue that successfully, right? Um, our classes uh, are are unique, right? Is because they're they're not like um, maybe the the principles of auto mechanics, right? Where I can I can uh, provide you with information and you can take it and then know like how like something works, like specifically like in that auto mechanics. Um, I can't teach somebody how to be passionate about wanting to to write or to draw, right? But I can absolutely teach them the fundamental skills and frameworks that will allow them to um, have the skills to pursue that with passion, right? Um, and I can and I can do my very best, right, to like sh to uh, share the passion that I have for those things uh, in order to hopefully spark that. Um, so uh, creativity, like I, that's kind of an ambiguous term. Uh, but uh, I do feel that in the arts, like uh, education can be extraordinarily helpful to somebody pursuing and becoming creative um, uh, and to, to succeed in like a creative field. Um, I don't know if that no, appropriately sidesteps the question, uh, but I have, I, I feel like I have a million thoughts about just the question itself. Mm -hmm. Um which would take us another hour. So right. I, won't, I, won't, I won't make you sit here. <laughs> well, with that, uh, we'll wrap it up. Do you have any kind of places, links that people could find more about you, more about your work? I know you have a book on Amazon, which I will link, which we didn't get to talk yes. about at all, but um, I'll still link that. Do you have anything else? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I have an old Tumblr 
that kind of holds some really old stuff. I'm working on uh, a website and, and maybe if I figure it out in the next <laughs> couple of weeks, which I absolutely won't. There's just no way that <laughs> it's gonna happen. Uh, I'd share that too. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I probably should have a better digital presence for y'all. <laughs> But, That's the teacher uh, of digital storytelling. You, you can just email me if you, you can put my, you can say, you can put like uh, my Instagram page or something and just send me a message. If you want me to share you with, if you're interested in my work and I, I'll send it direct to you. Oh, wow. That is the best offer that <laughs> I think has been offered <laughs> on here. All right, Nick, thank you so much for coming on. This has been Purple Elephant Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you next week.